You're listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. This is episode 25, and today I'm chatting with Aaron Weinstein. So I'm chatting to you from uh, Goa today, India, Aaron Ball, more specifically. Um, I, um, I've been here for the last months, or in India for the last months. I was learning Hindustani music with a local musician in Kolkata. As usual, if you want to help with the podcast, you can uh, do so via my Patreon page. That's uh, patreon.com forward slash jazzviolinpodcast. All that stuff, blah, blah, blah. So today my guest is Aaron Weinstein. He's a violinist and uh, mandolin player based in New York. He's an amazing player and uh, a really entertaining dude as well. We had a really nice chat about a variety of different things related to playing and learning jazz violin. So I hope you enjoy Okay then. Well, I guess we can start from the start. Thanks for doing this. That's my pleasure. Um, yeah, I've been checking you out for years. I think it must be years. It feels like I've I've I've, I've known of you for probably about ten years. I don't know. I've seen you play. Oh, wow. um, uh-huh. It's the power of the internet. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we'll just start with how you first started playing the violin. Sure. Um, I uh, asked my parents for a, a fiddle, um, and uh, a long, long, long story short, after y- years of asking for it, they, they finally got me one, um, and uh, they didn't get me a teacher, but they got me a, an instrument, so yeah. uh, I was kind of on my own for a while, but um, but yeah, that was around, uh, I guess, I was uh, eight, eight or nine when when I finally got the instrument. Ah, okay. So it's quite that's quite. I'm trying to think. Would, would that's, I guess that's quite um, quite late. I'd say. For in vi- I mean, in, in violin world, it's it's late. You know, people they come out of the womb playing three octave scales. Yeah. Um, so in, in that regard, yeah, it, it was late and. I, uh, I mean, I, I didn't kind of go in the classical uh, Suzuki direction. I, I started with um, old, what they call old-time fiddle music. Great. Um, and so uh, my training, and I put that in quotes because there was, uh, in my experience with that stuff, n- really no emphasis on, on kind of 
technique or how to hold the bow correctly or anything like that. It, it was all uh, tune based. And uh, but my my training was uh, sitting with these master fiddlers from uh, parts of Missouri and Illinois, uh, and uh, and learning learning tunes, uh, specifically Missouri style old time fiddle music. Where sorry, where did you grow up? I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. Okay, okay. You're based in New York now, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you started with old-time uh, fiddle music, and there wasn't much emphasis on technique. How? R- right. I, I mean, I think for, from from the time I started till till now, I think I've changed my my bow grip, you know, four or five times, meaning <laughs> I developed a bad habit and then had to break it four or five uh, times just out of, uh, I mean, it was, it was just kind of ignorance, I suppose the, I mean, the, the way I, the first, my first bow grip was basically the way people hold a fork. Um, <laughs> so, you know, good for eating, but not so good for playing the violin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that sounds, you, you're, you're, uh, you sound like me. i mean i i wouldn't i wouldn't wish it on anyone Uh, but you know there's you you get the good stuff that you get and you it also comes with the bad stuff yeah it's it's interesting i find if you it's interesting not starting with that with like a emphasis on technique it's quite hard to to get yourself into that place of being a, a sort of technique head isn't it um, well, I mean, for, for me and more so when I started playing jazz when I was maybe, uh, 12 or 13 to, to this day, uh, I mean, good technique for me is sounding good. Um, mm-hmm. in other words, you know, playing in a way, however you need to, to play what you're trying to play. So it, it's, uh, it's not necessarily uh, having anything to do um, with what's considered, you know, fabulous classical mm. violin technique. Um, I, I think uh, in jazz, uh, well, I mean, you know, I can only speak for myself, and it's such a uh, personal uh, kind of mentality uh, how anyone plays jazz. But for me, um, good and i'm putting good in quotes and we're on audio so you don't see the quotes but uh you know what's effective uh technique when playing jazz doesn't necessarily have anything to do with um what's proper uh, in terms of of brilliant violin technique in fact um I, i've heard brilliant brilliant technical violinists play amazing jazz and also play uh the opposite of that um it's i think it's a very different kind of uh it's a different game yeah no i agree i agree and it's yeah it's 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 interesting way of putting it just you know technique is 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 being able to make a nice sound and and play what you want to play um but i'm not sure if everybody would agree with that because well no i i think i think lots of people would disagree with that and and uh it's kind of what I love about uh, the instrument is that it's so versatile and mm. there's so many different ways to approach it and uh, different points of view that, um, you know, when I listen to uh, 
to other violin players or when I want to listen to other violin players, I typically put on uh, recordings that have nothing to do with anything that I would do myself. Um, I I really get a thrill out of uh, hearing other other kinds of things, things that I don't do, things that I can't do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you started with old time fiddle music. How did you first find? Sorry, first, first find jazz. Uh, I found jazz uh, through Joe Venuti. Um, when I was about twelve years old, I, I heard a recording of Joe Venuti from the seventies, um, and it was uh, it was like a thunderclap. I mean. Uh, especially at that time in Venuti's life, he was playing so aggressively and with such authority that it, it just um, it, it, it just it really hit me. And, and I was so intrigued and so kind of dazzled and enchanted with what he was doing. Uh, I wanted to do that. I, I didn't want to do anything else but that. Mm. Um, I had no clue about what exactly he was doing or what jazz was or what's involved in playing it but uh but all i knew was that i was listening to something that was really for me very uh uh, moving and uh i i wanted to do it Mm. so do you reckon i mean if you've come if you've come at it from like a you said old time place and then you hear joe venuti who's actually got super sort of classical chops in a way doesn't he like, how did you go about um, sort of trying to trying to emulate that and emulate that sound? Because it must be so such a different sound to what you'd you'd heard the violin as before that. Um, actually, I, I didn't hear it as that different of a sound. Just, I mean, from a, certainly the notes and what he was doing with the violin was completely different. But yeah. the sound itself, um, I mean, the fiddlers I was listening to. Um, I don't know if these names would mean anything. I mean, people like Pete McMahon and Cyril Stinnett and uh, Benny Thomason. Um, I mean, they were they were very uh, kind of hard driving mm. um, uh, fiddlers, yeah. and Venuti, in his own way, was also a hard driving yeah. fiddler. Yeah. Um, and so it was uh, it was not totally foreign in terms of sound. Of course, mm. you know, I mean, vibrato is different, and you. Know, you know, uh, but in kind of large umbrella terms, it, I, I could, I could, uh, I could understand that part of it. Yeah. Um, cool. the notes in the chords, it was totally foreign yeah. to me. And for a long time it remained foreign. Yeah. Uh, that, that's probably just my ignorance of, uh, old time music. Um, Oh, not, not at all. I, I mean, you, you know, um, uh, again, it, it's such a, it's such a kind of individual thing. I mean, you might talk to someone else who was, uh, who, who, who is to this day an old time fiddler and they would totally disagree with me. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, again, I can only speak for what my ears hear, yeah. but I'm, I'm not saying anything about uh, it, that being a definitive statement. Mm-hmm. So did you end up doing any quote unquote formal training? Um, in college, uh, I, I finally got some formal training, some classical training, mm-hmm. uh, when I was at Berkeley. Um, uh, okay, I Berkeley. Spent, 
yeah, uh, I spent time with a, a, a brilliant, brilliant uh, teacher and player, but a teacher named uh, Sandy Cott. And uh, she was, for me, fantastic because, excuse me, at, at that time I was playing jazz. I was yes. uh, I was working, um, I, I, and I'm stubborn. So there were certain technical things that I was doing that worked for me. Um, and she would say things like, well, that's fine, but if you continue to hold your bow that way or put your pinky that way, you can't do these other things. And, yeah. uh, and she, she was right. And therefore I, I, I tried to, to uh, adjust, but, um, it, it was never kind of like, hold your hand this way because I say so. It was always, there was a reason for doing it. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm stubborn, but I, I'm also somewhat reasonable. <laughs> and, and so if she's telling me that there's these things that I can't do otherwise, and, and she was absolutely right. I mean, it's just kind of the physiology of things. You, you can't do certain maneuvers, uh, if your hands are, are in a certain position. And so she really helped, uh, kind of straighten out some things for me. And also she, uh, kind of opened the world of classical violin literature, which I've never really dealt with. Um, and not just in terms of the notes, but in like, we would look at Bach and, and look at it in terms of, uh, what, uh, you know, what she considered to be stylistically authentic. Um, mm-hmm. From a harmonic point of view, um, you know, things that he would do that were really new when he did them, he being Bach. And so when I was to play it, you know, to bring that out, uh, I mean, I thought that that made so much sense to me. And it was really exciting uh, to approach that from a a harmonic standpoint. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, it must be like eye opening. So, yeah, just to. Just to sort of slightly backtrack, you um, you were saying there were some things that, that your teacher told you that you had to change so you could do other things well. Do you actually remember specifically what that was? <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, yeah, there, there's a few. A lot of it was with the bowing hand. Um, kind of uh, my pinky, uh, my pinky tended was at, at the time uh, really just flat out instead of bent. Uh, it didn't really yeah. help <laughs> for yeah. leverage. Uh, my thumb was, was kind of inverted. Um, uh, I guess, you know, when, when Daryl Angert, um, teaches the chop, he tells you to kind of Straight. move your thumb, make it inverted. That's yeah. how my thumb was all the time. Ah, <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Uh, to, to give everyone a horrifying visual. <laughs> um, so, so th- those things, uh, those things needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and did you, did you find that that freed, freed you up a little bit in your jazz playing? Uh, no, I mean, it, it certainly helped, uh, certain violin techniques, but, um, in, in terms of jazz, I, uh, I tend to kind of separate the violin from, uh, jazz. Jazz is, uh, to me, it's not really instrument specific. And, you know, most of the, uh, ideas that that could be played on a trumpet could also be played on the violin. And and, and it takes often very little technique to, to play, you know, an effective jazz idea. So they were not necessarily, uh, linked for me. Mm. Um, 
Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you you were in Berkeley, and what did you do after that? Uh, well, I, I moved to New York after that. Um, I, I was uh, I was going to New York during Berkeley and, and a little bit before Berkeley too. Um, uh, when I was like um, seventeen or eighteen, mm-hmm. I, I started working with uh, Bucky Pizzarelli and, yeah. and uh, John Pizzarelli, and uh, and and through them, I was introduced to a, a lot of the kind of brilliant uh new york jazz musicians of, of that mm-hmm. ilk yeah and so what that was when, around the age of eight, sorry you moved at the age of what, 18 did you say no. uh yeah i was uh i think i was a a junior senior in, in high school when that all kind of started oh when you started um, playing with 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 um Bucky. yeah and uh, um and then through through college, um, on the weekends, I would go to New York and, and play concerts with with him. Mm. Oh, cool! And you know the the move to New York. How was that when you when when you when you finally sort of uh, moved over there? Oh well, the physical move. Yeah. I mean, the physical move was, it was a nightmare. I had all my violin cases and mandolin cases, and. <laughs> uh, was trying to, you know, get them all on 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 the Amtrak train. Uh, the, the physical move was difficult. The 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 actual move, which I, I don't think that's what you meant. The 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 move, like you know, getting playing music in New York, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um. It, it was uh. It was interesting. It was certainly not what I expected. Um. When I was in Boston, uh, finishing up at Berkeley, uh, there were a lot of people in New York who were encouraging me to, to come there and uh, would say things like, you know, give me a call when you, you get to New York. And when I got to New York, I, I went down my list of people and gave, <laughs> gave them all calls. And a lot of them were like, uh, well, I'm so glad you're here. Good luck to you. Click. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was not expected. Um, you know, there, there, there were some who were incredibly helpful to me. Um, I mean, you know, John Pizzarelli, he gave me my first gig. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first concert that I played after I moved to New York was, mm-hmm. was with John, um, uh, but and and there there were several others. Frank Vignolo was was incredibly um, uh, supportive uh, of me um, when I moved there, and we worked uh, together a lot uh, in those first few years uh, in in New York. So it, it was really nice ha- having um, you know people who, who would call me regularly for for work. That I it gave me a sense of foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so it'd be interesting to know, uh, a little bit about how Uh you ended up being able to, uh, improvise in the way that you do and if, um, sort of what your processes were for, um, be able to, you know, create on the spot, a nice jazz solo. What were your processes to begin with? Um, what, what, what I, what I did at the beginning beginning is is fairly uh different than than what what i do now but uh it started with uh with the violin players it started with kind of um 
you know, the big four uh, mm -hmm. for, for me, uh, Grappelli, Venuti, Sven Asmussen, Stuff Smith. Yeah. Um, through, uh, in, in high school, that was my obsession. Mm -hmm. um, now, at the time, I didn't really, it didn't really occur to me that, you know, it didn't, it didn't occur to me what I said to you a moment ago, which is that it's not an instrument-specific music. Mm -hmm. um, it, it doesn't make sense to just listen to violin players. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's helpful because they're playing the same instrument, and if it's a new kind of music, it might be a nice kind of gateway. Um, but it, it was a little later that I realized, like, it's it's not violin music, it's music. And here's four violin players, for instance, those guys who I just mentioned, yeah. who found a way to take this, quote, jazz language and make it work yeah. on their instruments. And they all did it in totally different and totally compelling ways. Mm. And... Uh, you know, again, I didn't, I didn't quite realize what was happening when I was first listening to these guys, but it, it started to, uh, by trying to emulate what they were doing. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of transcribing of, of their solos, a lot of, uh, playing along with their records. Um, and, and then, you know, of course it's, uh, I mean, the, the music that they were playing, that's the music that I gravitate toward. Yeah. And, there were other really, really good people playing it, like, you know, Lester Young or Sweets Edison or Django Reinhardt, um, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and, and they all had this like a brilliant, unique view on the music. And so it, it occurred to me that it might not be a bad idea to check out what these other people are doing. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that kind of helps uh, in, in terms of understanding what it is I, I was trying to do. Um, and a, a lot of it now kind of comes down to, uh, again, that, like, what is it that I'm trying to do? What's my goal? Um, and there's always this, when you're performing, when I'm performing, there's this kind of uh, oh conflict that, that I, I'm always in and you know i don't like to admit it but i i will it's like there's there's two things going on one is this uh notion that i want to actually spontaneously create a melody i want to give myself the opportunity to try to do that um what that also means is that there's a possibility i will fail at that um you know if you're actually <laughs> improvising there's a yeah. possibility that it will not work out yeah. um but that's kind of the game. That's that's what what you, uh, you know what I'm trying to do. Now that's always for me in conflict with like, wait a minute, there's an audience there, mm -hmm. and I do have an obligation to them. And it's always a matter of like, there are things you can do that you know will work, yeah. that you know will sound quote good, that you know might get applause, and it's deciding. Do you go for that or do you go for the, I don't want to say the better thing, but do you go for the actual improvising? And mm. I, I think there's a time and a place for both of those. And people might disagree with me on that, which is fine. Um, I think, though, it's very important to kind of acknowledge which one you're going for. Yes, yes it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. 
and it, it's not like, uh, you know, this solo I'm going for applause and this solo I'm going for like creating <laughs> art. It's kind of like, you know, a phrase to phrase sort of mm. notion. Yeah. Um, and of course I, I would like to say that I always go for like the trying to create art. It's not true though. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, things are not going well. Uh, you're not <laughs> feeling connected to the people you're working with. You're not feeling like the audience is with you. Um, yeah. there, there's a million reasons why things are not perfect. Uh, maybe you, I'm having an off night. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, ve it's very difficult to, uh, to kind of push through and despite all that feel like, well, you know, I, I, I did, I did my job, which is try to, you know, create something new. Um, I, I mean, I, so, sometimes I don't know what, what the, the quote best, best thing to do is, but, uh, that's, that's always a, a consideration mm. and, um, you know, something I, 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 I think about a lot. Um, and more and more, I, I, I'm listening to, uh, to, I'm not listening to violin players. Um, when I want to listen to jazz, I, I almost never put on a, a violinist. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'll listen to Chet Baker or, yeah. or Sweets Edison. I mean, and more and more, I, I'm realizing how, how little you have to play to do something that's that's effective. And, and when I listen back to myself, my self-criticism is always, almost always that I overplayed. And yeah. the times that I'm happiest with what I played is when I don't do that. Yeah. Um, and so that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really come from the big four who I mentioned, but that, that comes from, um, so, some, some other people. Um, and, and so that's, for me, that's kind of, my process now is not overplaying or not what I call playing past the idea, which is what I find myself doing when, when I, when I get nervous, I, I overplay and it's like, uh, it's, it's being, uh, present enough when you're playing to realize that you just played something that's enough. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard. Yeah. Music is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a couple of points you made there. What's interesting is talking about, um, you know, the uh, the inner turmoil of well, turmoil is a bit of an overstatement, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but the problem of like, you know, when you're thinking, you know, oh, am I coming out with something new? Am I within the style? And I find that that's like an that's like really difficult thing, especially if you're sticking within sort of a style with like which sort of jazz or classic jazz or however you want to call it straight ahead jazz it is a, it's like a it's just there's like stylistic stuff there and, and it's really difficult to always feel like you're improvising when you're sounding uh you know like jazz and and that's something that you know like people who are or more on the modern side or people who I don't know. I remember I was talking to um, one of the the uh, Anthony Barnett, who's like uh, who's uh -huh, the, sure, sure. the stuff Smith guy, and he's like, yes, yes. Anyone who uh, over who 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 rehashes the past is not doing it right, and I just don't agree with that. I feel like it's just like it's just like a different skill. It's so hard to like play within 
these guys style or the style of jazz but also improvise at the same time and you know you do it and that's what people do but it's like it's really hard you're like treading this line and you can fall one way or the other quite easily you know well you 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 bring up an interesting point I, i don't i don't think it's i don't think there's any kind of limitation when you're playing in you know if you want to call it straight ahead jazz um yeah, you know, you listen to someone like Zoot Sims, and yeah. they could play four choruses, and it sounds like they could have played another fifteen. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no. I mean, if there's there's no end to ideas. Of course. If if I'm feeling like I've exhausted a song, for instance, or the yeah. the possibilities, it's a comment on me. It means that yeah. I need to go back and look at other other stuff and, and try to find another, another way from, you know, one place to the next. Um, but, but no, I I don't, I don't think playing, uh, playing a tune for instance, uh, is limiting at all. Um, and, um, in in terms of, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure the context in which he said that in terms of rehashing the past, I don't know if he meant, playing uh you know songs from the american songbook or playing someone's uh, licks um i think i mean those are those two things those are two very different things um yeah you know um the the notion that if you're playing tunes uh and when i say that i mean you know early early jazz tunes if you're playing something like avalon yeah uh, the notion that you're you're a, you're playing in a retro style mm. um i think that that's a little uh, i i think that's an interesting uh idea that I, I don't exactly understand um because unless you're playing some kind of historic solo unless you're playing uh, you, you know stefan grappelli's solo from a, such a 19 whatever recording of yeah. avalon I mean, if you're actually improvising and you happen to be playing Avalon, that means you are creating something in the year 2020. Um, I agree. And, and yet, you know, it's often uh, I've hear I hear it pegged as like, oh, it's a retro vibe. Um, I don't hear you know that uh, said if someone's playing Countdown, for instance, or yeah. Giant Steps. Yeah, um, exactly. But but if you look at you know if you you look at the timing of these things, yeah. it's like 20 years. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a twenty thirty year difference between retro and totally, totally modern. Yeah, um, I know, so yeah. I, I mean, it, it gets pretty goofy after a while. That, I, 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 that is a really good point, and it's a point that I've made. You know, it's uh, it's a point that I, you know, you you, you know, like the world of uh, jazz manouche and gypsy jazz. Mm-hmm. Like you know, people will. A lot of the time, they'll be talking about like what's old school and what's what's not, and they'll, you know, some people they'll be like, yeah, you know, like the, you know, like the Rosenbergs. It's like, man, they're 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 still alive. They're like around in the eighties. That's not old school. They just play in a certain style, and like you know, we're playing, uh, I don't know, and then versus more and more like guys who're guys who're playing in Paris in the in the early two thousands or two thousand tens. It's like there's actually not much. You know, there's, there's not old school really or new school. It's it's all so young, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, I I mean, uh, you know, I think 
to, to think about music in those terms, um, I, that's not terribly interesting to me. Yeah. I, I'd much rather think of in terms of what is it that they are playing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, for me, when I listen to someone like uh, the trumpeter Warren Vachey, cornetist, um, that to me, or Chet Baker, I mean, people like this, it's like, it's it's exactly what I want to do. They they are creating these beautiful melodies. Yeah. Um, that's really all I'm trying to do is, yeah. is create something that that I consider a, a nice melody instead of uh, letting my fingers do the thinking. Yeah, um, and there's always again that negotiation too. Like, are you? are you really thinking that idea and that's why you played it? Or are you doing it because your fingers know how to do it? Yeah. Or you know that if you do this, it will sound quote cool. Like the, you know, the, these are, these are the kinds of things that I think about. And so, and it's easy to fool yourself too. So mm. it's, uh, again, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. For me it is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, it was also funny just picking up on what you just said there, like the, you know, are you playing it, or are your fingers just playing it? What I, what can be funny? What what I found funny is like some like stuff will come out out of nowhere sometimes, right? And you're like, wow, that cat, you know, that just came out, and I don't know, I don't really know where that came from, or I sort of maybe know where it came from, but it's not something that I've been thinking about much. And then it starts to get into your playing, and then suddenly it's then suddenly it's just coming out because your fingers know. And then you're like, oh, God, I played that thing again. It's that, that can happen within like six months, you know? Yeah, I, I have that. I mean, I, I have that problem too sometimes uh, when I, I hear something that really strikes me as, as interesting or I'm somehow intrigued by it. If it's something harmonic, I'll figure out what it is and mm. then I'll start using it. And it, at first it's like, here's another here's another device for yeah. me and then it becomes my favorite device yeah. and then it becomes my favorite overused device yeah. and then it becomes this kind of awful <laughs> you know nonsensical like you know why am i even doing it device <laughs> and then i have to get rid of it completely and yeah. forget about it and then like if i'm uh, you know if i behave myself maybe i'll allow myself to like you know get use it again one day um yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, you get a pair of pants and then you like that pair of pants and then you only wear that pair of pants yeah. until, you know, yeah. someone tells you like, uh, yeah. you know, there's other good there's other good trousers. Yeah, and you got to go wash those trousers, dude. Like it, it, ex Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, oh, I had a direction and then and then I lost it because of we just went on a slight tangent away from it. Um you know what? I know what it is. It's um, you're quite an entertaining guy. You seem to have a a sort of stage presence. Not that I've seen you play a gig, but I've just seen uh, videos of you uh, engaging the audience with stories and uh, what you could describe as a comedy act. You're a funny guy. Thanks. Um, it's quite uh. It's quite rare, especially in violinists, actually. But uh, you know, just in in um, in jazz musicians in general, there is maybe I don't know. I know two or three in the UK who do who have that sort of same vibe that you do. 
and uh, I don't know what it's like in America, but I think it's really great. And is it something that you developed? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's um, it, th there's a lot of jazz musicians who don't like it, um, and there there are some people who you know the minute you start talking on stage, somehow the music is different for reasons I don't quite understand. But mm. um, it, it, it's it's a um, it's it's a sensibility and. Um, you know, one sensibility and the one that I kind of subscribed to for a very long time was that you're there to uh, to share the music that you're playing. And that's that's that. And uh, and, and nothing needs to be said. Um, and, and I think there's there's truth to that. Um, one of the the most beautiful, profound sets of music I'd ever heard uh, was at the uh, at the Algonquin um, in the Oak room that's now gone. Um, it was a, a duo, Bill Charlap and his mother, Sandy Stewart. And there was no patter. It was just song after song presented in the most extraordinary way. Mm. Um, and you know, that's enough. You listen to Ella Fitzgerald do a set. I mean, she might say, I thank you in between songs, but that's her patter. I thank you. Um, and, and there's something very beautiful about that. My, I mean, my my um, mentality about performing now is that you know every, every every minute of stage time should be used. You are on stage. You are performing. And um, I also feel that that there's a percentage of the audience there that might not be uh, you know a hardcore jazz fan. And if there's Anything that, that someone can do on stage to kind of bring them in or help them enjoy the music or relax them or make them laugh or make them think or et cetera, et cetera, um, in their own way, uh, maybe they might be more open to listening to whatever music is going to be happening mm -hmm. after that. Um, and I mean, I, I know it, it comes off as, as, you know, comic or funny, but I, you know, I, I do. I do take it kind of, <laughs> kind of seriously. Um, I mean, it, there, it's a lot of monologues that are written and revised and rehearsed and practiced and all that stuff in the same way that you would practice music. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's it's separate from the from the the playing, of course. But it's uh, you know, I, I do I do put a lot of time and a lot of thought into it. And so, like what. What made you get just? What made you go down that route? If I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not asking like in a. Oh, why are you doing that? But as in like, uh -huh. <laughs> I'm just interested to know yeah, what it, it, was it was that made you want to do it because it, it, no one does it. I think it's really great. I just, don't, I think it's and it's it's very unique and it's just. I just want to know how like. It, it was a, a little evolution. I mean. uh I think up until the age of 20, I didn't say a word like in life or on stage. I was pretty quiet. Um, but I mean, I, I would make little comments on stage and, and they would be responded to favorably. And, and I would speak a little more. And, and it occurred to me that instead of speaking extemporaneously, why, why not actually, you know, actually write something? Yeah. Um, and, and I, uh, I, I realized that, that it's something that, that I was, uh, able to, to do effectively, uh, for, for myself. Um, you know, I, I, I do a little writing for other people. 
but but it's uh, you know it's not like someone could take uh, you know the sort of monologues that I do and and do them for for themselves because it, it's kind of all you know tailored to what I you know my my rhythms of speaking and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, you know, even if someone you, you don't have to be a comedian or, or a humorist to make the most of your stage time um, yeah. so, so often. But again, it's a, it's a sensibility. It's like, is it a show or is it a set? Um, so much of the time when I'm an audience member, I'll see these these people play amazing music and then they spend a few minutes talking about what the next tune is going to be and what key they're going to play it in. And, and I'm just thinking like, you know, it's easy enough to figure that stuff out ahead of time. Um, and you know, and now I, I am contradicting a huge part of the jazz tradition and it's the tradition that I came up in, which is a tradition of, for me, terror, total terror, which is like, you know, go on stage with people who are older than you, more experienced than you, and better than you, and uh, you have no idea what tunes they're going to call. And they, if you're lucky, they will tell you the name of the song. Yeah. If you're less lucky, they will just start playing the song. There's no discussion about, um, you know, what or do you know it? And, you know, my luck was always, if I didn't know it, I would get the first solo. It's just how it always came out. Yeah, and so, you know... Um, I, 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 re- I was, I did a, um, it was one of these jazz festivals where they, you kind of get there and they give you your, your sets. In other words, you know, you'll be with these people, um, for this set and this person's the leader. And I was working, uh, with, with Warren Vachet, uh, who knows every song that ever was. Yeah. And, and he called one, uh, that I wasn't familiar with and, I, I got a little in, in my in my youthful uh, arrogance, I guess I got a little angry with him afterwards, like as though it was some kind of uh, personal attack. And he very, very wisely told me, he said, you know, you're not supposed to know it. You're supposed to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so there is a massive tradition of just just playing. Um and I think there's something so beautiful about that. Mm. Um, but again, there's, there's also this notion that's less about jazz, but this notion of like, you know, putting together a, a, a quote show, yeah. um, pacing things nicely, et cetera. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It seems like it just, you just, it just naturally happened to you. Cause that's, that's, that's how you, that's how you like it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do like it. I, I also like, uh, you know, being just quote, not quote, quote, just a musician. I mean, I, I like yeah. not, not being responsible for, for saying anything. Um, yeah. and, and at this point it kind of sometimes needs to be made clear that like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> um, you know, it's not, it's not my show. Um, yeah. I'm just. I want to try to make some some nice music. Yeah. Ah. So, um, what is your? How do you do? You, do you get? Sorry. Do you manage to get a chance to practice at the yeah. moment? Yeah. 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 How much sure. do you? Pra- how much do you practice? How much do you practice? 
I, I practice with the time that I'm not dealing with life things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I can't I can't put a number on it, but it, it, it varies day to day. There are days, uh, sorry to say, that I, I do not have a chance to pick up yeah. uh, the instrument. Um, but you know, this is this is life. Yeah. So what is your what's your um, are you someone who has a regimented practice routine when you do practice, or are you someone who just picks up and goes with it? Um, it, it's, I mean, there's typically things I'm, I'm working on. Um, and, and so it's, it's not the same thing every day, but there, there's, there's usually something, uh, that, that I'm aiming toward. If, if I have, uh, I mean, if I have nothing to, nothing specific to practice, I will, uh, either try to take a, a, a tune that I like through some different keys and see how that works. Yeah. Um, I will mm. try to, I mean, so much of it for me is like the, the connection between your mind and your ear and your fingers. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's never a bad idea to spend time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, take a tune, I take a tune, I don't put on a, a play along, maybe a metronome sometimes. And I, I just try to improvise on those changes um, at, at like a slower tempo, not, you know, where I can really make sure that I'm thinking mm-hmm. and make sure that I'm not kind of doing finger walking. Yeah. Um, and, and really kind of hold myself to the, uh, uh, the restriction of, of of making sure that what I'm playing is what I'm hearing. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a really for me a really helpful thing to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that. I also practice the mandolin a great deal. Ah uh, yes, um, you're a mandolin player. Yeah, and um, uh, so so a lot of the time I am exploring that and the kind of the chordal capabilities of of that instrument and. Uh, so a, a significant amount of time is spent on that. Okay, yeah. And do you find that playing the playing the mandolin helps your violin playing at all? Or I mean, it's pretty hard to tell, isn't it? But would you uh, say well, it's cer- certainly at first, like I, I don't, I don't play the. I'm not a pianist, mm-hmm. um, and so before I played the mandolin, I didn't really have any kind of chordal frame of reference. Yes. Um, so the mandolin was a huge help for that, and. I I think it's still a, a, a big help for that. It, it it helped me understand kind of chords and where they occur on on the fretboard, fingerboard. Um, I mean, what I play on the mandolin again has very little to do with what I would play on the violin. Uh-huh. Um, when I'm playing the mandolin, I my mentality is like, well, here I am playing this instrument, so let me take full advantage of the instrument mm-hmm. and everything about that, the chordal capability. You know, it's not just a single note. Like, it's not just the violin with a pick. It's this whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I totally contradict myself when I play the violin, and I don't want to do any kind of, you know, violin-y things. Uh, <laughs> I, I find, I mean, it's, to me, that, that just... I don't know. It doesn't do it for me. Um, Violiny things. Yeah, you know, uh, excessive like trilling or you know, um, <laughs> a, a, a lot of double stop stuff on the violin. It's like it's amazing violin stuff. But in in terms of jazz, I, I sometimes I hear the idea of being lost. Mm. Um, 
maybe if more comments on how I do it. Uh, but but it, it's like for the violin, I hear uh, I, I, I um, my notion of it is very much kind of the same as is the trumpet or the saxophone. Yeah. Um, and then I totally contradict that when I play the mandolin. So, you know. That I guess that's what makes music interesting, but I'm very aware that of, of that contradiction. I think that's a real violin thing, though, man. I think like I don't think I know. I don't think there's one person on this <laughs> on this podcast has been like over twenty that hasn't said that they want to sort like at some point they've really focused on not being a violin. And I feel like as violinists, we're just always. We're just a bit embarrassed to be a violin, or maybe not that. I don't know. If it's I, that, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it's that, but but I think um, a, a lot of what makes classical violin literature so beautiful, like a lot of uh, utilizing the violin in all of its wonder, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I think is at odds with what's uh, I hate the word, but what's good mm-hmm. in terms of jazz. Uh, soloing uh okay so it's not that there's shame in being a violin player if you're playing jazz but i I think again it goes back to the idea that it's not violin music it's music that can be played on the violin yeah and there's a certain you know it's like there's a i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say it in a dogmatic way but there's certain things that a violinist might do that's a dead giveaway that they really haven't listened to a lot of jazz. <laughs> um, when I occasionally I'll work with like classical violinists who want to play jazz, I think uh, some of them want like a skeleton key. Yeah. Like what what's the secret? Tell yeah. me within the hour, and then I'll be seeing you. Yeah. Um, but there there's certain things that violinists do, and it's not so much my observation as it is like. You know, in my early twenties, when I was hanging around with these the, these masters uh, who were generations kind of uh, older than me, like they would make comments as we were listening to something, uh, listening to someone playing or a record or, or something, mm-hmm. um, and, and they weren't violin players; they were, you know, horn players or yeah. guitar players, um, and. And I don't disagree with that. Um, I disagree. Sorry, as in specifically. I, 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 I don't. I don't disagree with the idea that there are certain things that are integral to you know classical violin playing, or what makes uh, classical violin playing so beautiful that are that are kind of deadly uh, in jazz. In jazz, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, For first sure. foremost is is the vibrato. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, there. There's a there's a, a, a obviously vibrato is part of music. It's part of jazz too, but it's not used in the same way as uh, a, a classical uh, violinist might approach it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The kind there's kind of you know some of these these glissandos that are so exaggerated. Um, yeah. You know, and and the explanation is always. Um, 
oh, well, it's Johnny Hodges. Well, like, yes, he did exaggerate. He did do an exaggerated glissando, but it's like, yes, it's exaggerated, but not like, it's not like Johnny Hodges. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you want to do like Johnny Hodges, l- listen to him and, and try to emulate that. So um, th- there's, and, you know, if you just get rid of that and get rid of the, the that kind of, you know, vibrato as a rule of thumb, I, I mean, th- those are some pretty easy things someone can do to, just not immediately be discarded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, know I, I don't mean. know if that sounds awful or not. But no, I mean, man, you know, that's uh, uh, this uh, this podcast is uh, it's had enough people on it saying exactly the same thing. So, well, not exactly mm-hmm. the same thing, but saying this, you know, similar things. As any, of course, you've got to get rid of your vibrato all the time, and you can't have, especially not that sort of classical vibrato that's like always going. Well, but, you know, at at the same time, it's like, again, and this goes back to the idea that, like, everyone has a different notion about, you know, and a a different idea, a different sound, a a different ideal. And, uh, you know, some people, like, I've heard beautiful music played uh, by people who are not, like, forsaking their training as a classical violinist. They kind of, to my ear, they come to it as, like, I am a classical violinist with a beautiful classical sound and extraordinary technique, mm-hmm. and I am tackling this other music yeah. from this perspective. And I think that is so cool. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it's it's like just no have an idea of what it is you're you're aiming for. Um, you know, the idea of like what is a good solo to to you to what I mean. I have ideas about what makes a good solo for me. Um, and that's what I'm going for. But if you don't have that sort of thing in mind in pretty specific ways, I think it makes it really hard to achieve it. Mm. If it's just kind of a vague notion. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I, especially, I I guess beginners or beginners, beginners in jazz, they actually probably don't know what, what, what makes a good solo to them. Yeah. Or still haven't worked that out, you know? I mean, sometimes I'm still wondering what's a good solo. Um, I, I think it's a, I mean, I think it's a constantly evolving, evolving thing. Uh, and what I respond to now is probably going to be different than what I respond to a year from now, or maybe even sooner. Um, but I, I think those are questions that, you know, certainly I, I won't, I won't tell anyone what to do or speak for anyone else, but it's certainly questions that I ask myself a lot. Mm. Um, I mean, when I listen to anything, I'm I'm always thinking, you know, what do I like about it and what don't I like? And I try to be really specific. Yeah. Um, yeah. How much do you think you have changed over the, the time that you've, you know, been a professional musician? In, um, terms, I, uh, in terms of con- concept? In, in terms of how you approach music. Uh, I would say, a, it might not sound like it, but I would say a huge amount. Um I, I'm I'm trying so hard to play less and less. I don't mean appear less and less. I mean, <laughs> like you know, wh- when I'm playing, I I um, I, I mean, I think everyone when they're younger, when they're they're just starting, you want to be impressive, um, and you yeah. you know certainly uh, you know you want to play fast. You want to do the things that are fun and will get a lot of applause and. Um, you know, I, I, I liked all that stuff. Um, but now more and more my, 
notion is like, you know, I, I feel kind of cheap when I do something for the yeah. wrong reason. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to reduce, reduce, uh, reduce, reduce, reduce and play less. And, you know, I mean, it's all cliches, but, you know, make every note important, all that stuff that we've heard and da, 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 da. But, um, but, but it's, it's much more about that, much more about playing something really intelligent, a little really intelligent idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and also, you know, it's not just, a soloist and rhythm section with the rhythm section having an obligation to do everything they can to make the solo sound better. It's a, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a two way street and doing my part to make everyone else sound good to the best of my abilities, just like they're doing for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to listen more and more to other people, uh, while, while playing, uh, these are things that I, I didn't do so much, um, <laughs> at the beginning, it was all, you know, it's all about you. It's about you at the beginning, you and your solo and, you know, and there's so much more to it than that. Uh, and for as much as I've played with, with these older, uh, musicians who, who, who do all these things that I'm saying I'm trying to do, it took a long time for me for it to really sink in that, mm. that that's, that's the way I'm not saying that's the way to go, but for me, that's really what, um, that's what's satisfying for me at the moment. Yeah. When I hear what I, when I hear something or when I play something, if it, it doesn't have the extra notes, if, you know, the idea is a seven note idea and it has seven notes instead of 15, that to me is like a, a very happy thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like that. Um, I think you make an an analogy of you think no, it's like when you when you you yeah you you finished your you finished your idea, but you're still playing. It's like such and a it's classic. super. It's so easy to do that on Very the violin because we don't have to breathe. You know, yeah. the bow just can go forever and ever. Yeah, and um, you know, but, but it's, I mean, so much of it is like conversation. So much of it is like speaking. And if someone speaks and speaks and talks and talks and talks and never pauses, then you kind of stop, you know, you paying stop attention listening. to what it is they're saying. But if someone, you know, pauses for just like that, suddenly you listen and it's like, what are they going to do next? And <laughs> I it, actually just it, thought you'd lost you. <laughs> no, no, but, but I mean, it, it's occurred to me that the idea is only created when there's a pause. Yeah. Um, and you know, these are such simple ideas, but it's taken me a very long time to, to kind of realize that. Yeah. Hey, do you, you know, do you do you enjoy life as a professional musician? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do. Um, I enjoy, I mean, I enjoy the music part of it. Yeah. I enjoy the music part of when I get to make music with people who I enjoy uh, working with, uh, both musically and personally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, like any profession, there's, there's irritants. Um, <laughs> there's, um, you know, Pete, not everyone plays by the same rule book. Um, yeah. And 
and you know it's kind of a matter of how how you want to conduct yourself um and it's uh yeah you know it, it can it can be trying I, I i sometimes think that like you know there's being a, a musician is more about uh psychology than it is about actually you know getting on the the concert and playing because there there's so many I find myself in so many situations when it has nothing to do with the music. Like that should be the easiest part. It's the, uh, it's the dealing with people, dealing with people who maybe, uh, say one thing and then they change their mind. And it's like, wait a minute, what, what do you do? And, and it's, I I often find myself with like the option of either putting up with the thing, you know, and I'm not saying it's always like this, but sometimes these things happen and the choice is always to go along with it or say, you know, thank you, but uh, this is not comfortable for me anymore. And just be okay with whatever choice, uh, you're making. I mean, there's that old cliche about like, there's only three reasons to take a gig. It's, I think the first one is for the money. The second one is for, uh, it's a good career move. Or the third one is that you're going to have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, I think it's really important to know if you're going to take the the job, know why you're taking it, know the reason and don't expect the other ones to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's like if you do something say for the money and it's a real pain, well, you know, yeah. remember why you're doing it and don't expect it to be fun. And and so I, I think just expectations are very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know that that stuff happens rarely. When it, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a sensitive person, and I it's very affecting to me. But uh, you you know, for the most part, yes, I I enjoy it, and I feel really lucky to be able to do it. It's good. Yeah, that that whole three reasons thing. I've heard similar one of it's like the the holy trinity. Well, not the holy trinity, but whatever. <laughs> the uh, the trinity, which is like you know you a gig, you but you want to have two of them. It's like good people or good music or good money and you want to have two of them and then you're you're pretty happy and oh you can i mean have... i do ideally you want to have three of them but, well of course uh... you want to have three of them but that doesn't always happen and <laughs> no you know, of we... course two, two doesn't always happen but yeah but the two I, is I, like I... the one right you could get two of any of those things and you'll be fine you'll be like, you'll come away like oh okay nice one and you know I... you're not going to be you're not going to come away pissed off I I think even one is okay, but as long as you, as long as you know, know <laughs> that you're only going to get out of it that one and you're not going to get those other two things. And as long as you're okay with that, it will be okay. Well, if that, you're going to be resentful, you probably shouldn't take the job. That means that you're you're you've you've got it together. Maybe <laughs> you should start a class in getting it together and cuz I th- I I can only do, I think I'm still on the I think the two thing, you know. When it's one, I still find it difficult. Well, I, I don't, you know, it helps me a lot to, uh, you know, to see certain things in, in like a cartoon, like to not take things personally, but uh, yeah. to kind of observe yeah. them as a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And if you, if you don't get too invested in kind of, if there is a level of craziness or insanity or, uh, you know, whatever, um, if that is present and you can find a way to kind of remove yourself from that, it's, it's usually best. I've, I've been in situations when I've managed to do that. And I've been in situations when I, I've not been so good at that. And, 
you know, it, it's, uh, th- that's not, it's not a good thing. No one wants to spend their time dealing with that. You want to spend your time thinking about music and thinking about what do you do on this chord and how do you play a nice melody yeah. and all this kind of schmutz can get in the way. But I, I don't think it's that different than any other business. I mean, in broad terms, I think there's, you know, nothing is perfect. Mm. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no. Sorry, my counter said. I thought my counter said we'd done two hours, but we've not. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't think we have. I think we've done one hour, and I think that's pretty good. An hour is a good one. Okay. Good. Um, yeah, it's been really nice to chat to you. I mean, we, if you don't, if you've got anything like that, you you know, like, I don't know, that's coming up that you want people to go to or buy, then maybe talk about that now. Um. I mean, there, there's a, there's a newish record that that uh, that's out called Three by Three on the Chesky label, mm-hmm. and you know if someone wants to buy that, I wouldn't discourage them. Um, but <laughs> that's a very polite way. Of... <laughs> well, well, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm. I, I'm not going to say go buy my record. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> you do what you want. There's so much good music. You listen to the music you want to listen to. But, I, um, the, I mean, this session, it was unique for me because it was it was a trio, guitar player, Matt Munisteri, and a bassist, Tom Hubbard, and, and me. And we were just around a microphone, and there were no overdubs or, you know, multi-tracking or anything like that. So... It, it was, I think it's, I mean, they call it a record for a reason. It's a record of a time, you know, it's a literal record of that time in the studio. Um, and I think it's for me probably, you know, there's something, uh, truthful, extremely truthful about that music because that's exactly the music that happened. That's, yeah the way that those three people, you know, responded to each other in that moment. Um, you know, of course there are things that I wish I would, I would love to have gone and maybe done this solo again, or it's, you know, things like that. But I had to kind of let that whole notion go. Um, and I, I think for better or worse, it's probably closer to the way everyone actually played than, Mm-hmm. on a studio record where you can punch a solo or punch eight bars of a solo yeah. or you know then it, for me it turns into like oh my idea of what i sound like yeah you know and, and you listen back and it's like not your idea and at a certain point it's like actually that's just what you sound like so yeah. you, you know go practice and come back next year if you're not happy with yeah. it but but with this there was no opportunity for that and, and all things considered I, i'm you know i'm, I'm fairly happy there, i mean there's there are solos on that record that I'm that I'm happy with, uh, w- which is the, probably the most I'll ever be able to say about anything that I do. Mm. Um, and I, w- I wish I could be one of those people who's like, you need to listen to it because it will change your life. Uh, but <laughs> that that's just I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I need a different. I need a happy pill or something to be able to get there. No, no, no. I like it. It's great. <laughs> um. Okay, but. It was just one mic. It was well. The, the way I, I, apparently it's it was three mics. It was like okay. I don't know. There there were three three mics that were hidden. I only saw one of them. <laughs> um, 
and the the label it was this kind of audio experiment when they they recorded it three ways and if you uh, are an audiophile you can get a version of the record that's actually three copies of the record uh, each with a different microphone um it, it's for i mean for me i i just i'm just going to put on the I'm just going to put on a record and listen to the music. And I think that's yeah. probably what most people, how most people, you know, deal with, with albums. But yeah, it no, was just, everyone, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, there was, there was no, like there was, so in other words, we spent like an hour kind of positioning ourselves around this microphone. Yeah. Um, you know, like would the bass player move back three steps with the violin player move forward. And that was the mixing. Mm. So, wow. you know, that, yeah. Um, so that so that it was interesting for me. That that is interesting. I'd, mm. uh, yeah. Well, I'd like to hear that. You said it's out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Great. it's available uh, at at all the record stores. I, uh, <laughs> so, in other words, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh-huh. Um, okay, man. Well, thanks for chatting to me, and that was really. That was really, really nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, th- thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. You've been listening to me, Matt Holborn, and I've been chatting to Aaron Weinstein, or Aaron Weinstein. Um, yeah. Hope you've enjoyed. I'm just finishing off my months in India and just editing this podcast on the beach makes it a lot more fun. Um, that's it, really. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you next month. Bye!